Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and on today's episode, I want to start by talking about what the Chicago Bears should do with Justin Fields in the offseason. As you know, they have the number one overall pick in this year's draft. Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and on today's episode, I want to talk about what the Chicago Bears should do with Justin Fields in the offseason. It's most likely that the Bears are going to have the number one overall pick in this year's draft, and the 2024 NFL Draft has an incredible quarterback class. And I want to discuss whether or not they should move on from Fields, should they trade the number one overall pick. I'll give my thoughts on that. I also want to talk about the Los Angeles. Chargers who recently fired their head coach and their GM. I want to talk about some people they can bring in as their head coach or their GM in the offseason. I also want to talk about some roster decisions they have to make. Some guys they can potentially trade or cut. So I want to talk about all the decisions they will have to make this upcoming offseason. After that, I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills who have been really good recently and they just had a big win versus the Cowboys. I want to discuss how they look on, off- on offense, how they look on defense, and what or not they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. On today's episode, I want to start by talking about the Chicago Bears and what they should do with Justin Fields in the offseason. Should they trade him because they're likely going to get the number one overall pick, or should they trade with their first first round pick? Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCreary, and to kick off today's episode, I want to discuss what the Chicago Bears should do with Justin Fields in the offseason. They're likely going to have the number one overall pick, so I want to discuss whether or not they should trade the number one overall pick, or should they trade Justin Fields. After that, I want to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers, who just recently fired their head coach and their GM. I want to talk about all the decisions they're going to make in the offseason, bringing in a new head coach, a new GM, and potentially trading and cutting a lot of their big-time players on their roster. After that, I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills, who have been really good recently, and I want to discuss whether or not they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. After that, I want to talk a little bit of basketball. I want to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers, who, like the Bills, have been really good recently. They're on a big win streak. They've been great since trading for James Harden, and I want to discuss whether or not they are a legitimate championship contender. And then lastly, to end the episode, I want to talk about Scoot Henderson's rookie season, what he's done well. And what he's done not so well because, honestly, he's had a rough rookie season. And I want to discuss whether or not we should be concerned about the way he's playing so far. That's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. And let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's get started by talking about the Chicago Bears and what they should do with their quarterback Justin Fields this offseason. The Bears are likely going to have the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. This was not their pick originally. It originally belonged to the Carolina Panthers. The Bears got it last year when they traded down from number one in the 2023 draft. The Panthers traded up to get their quarterback Bryce Young. The Bears traded down. Now they have the number one overall pick in this year's draft. They have a chance to get a quarterback of their own, but they already have a young quarterback on their roster in Justin Fields, who they drafted in the 2021 draft, and people are starting to question whether or not they should actually take a quarterback at number one. Should they trade Fields? Should they should they keep him? Should they draft a quarterback? There's a lot of decisions that they'll have to make in the offseason, and I want to talk about what they should do. Now, first, I want to start by talking about the season that Justin Fields is having and how good he is as a quarterback. I think that's the first thing you have to talk about when you talk about this whole discussion. So let's talk about the way that he has performed this season. This season, Justin Fields has been better than people think, in my opinion. I I think his numbers have been solid. I think his numbers across the board have been decent. Not elite or anything, but they are not bad. And I think that there is this narrative, or I think people have this assumption of him that he is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. That's what he looked like early on in his career, but he's gotten a lot better. He's gotten a lot better over the last two seasons. And now, 
I think he's a solid quarterback. I think he's definitely a top 20 quarterback. Um, he's solid. Not terrible. I don't think he's bad whatsoever. Is he elite? No. But this season has been pretty good. He's, he's above average in big time throw rate, turnover, turnover worthy play rate, and adjusted completion percentage. And if you don't know, adjusted completion percentage is basically the, the percentage of a quarterback's throws that are accurate. So he's above average in terms of, you know, the, the, the number of big time throws he's generating, uh, the number of throws that are considered turnover worthy by PFF, um, and how, how, in the percentage of his throws that are considered accurate. Um, he's also become one of the better deep ball throwers in the league. His deep ball is great. That's one of his best traits, his ability to push the ball down the field. It's been great this year. Um, and honestly, he's been one of the five best deep ball throwers in the NFL this year, which is awesome. On throws 20 plus yards down the field this season, he has 11 big time throws to zero turnover worthy plays which is awesome. He's also top three among quarterbacks in basically every single rushing stat. He isn't quite the game-breaking runner that he was last year, but he has taken a step, a step up as a passer, so his rushing production has gone down a little bit. But in my opinion, that's a good thing. I think it's good that he's taken a step forward as a passer. That's a great thing, in my opinion. I will say, some of his numbers don't look great. When you look at stats like adjusted EPA per play and success rate, he's not great in those. He's 23rd in adjusted EPA per play and 29th in success rate. I will, you know, I do want to uh, make it clear that these stats are more team stats than these other metrics that I've talked about. Um, so I think the fact that he plays on the Bears, who aren't a great team, is impacting his efficiency metrics. But you still have to take that into account. You still have to consider that. Um, he also hasn't had a lot of great performances this year, and he has had some pretty bad performances he has had a QBR of less than 20 in half of his games this year, which is really bad. And if you don't know what QBR is, QBR stands for quarterback rating. That's not passer rating. I know a lot of people uh, get those two metrics confused. QBR is based off of EPA or expected points added. Um, it's an efficiency metric. And kind of like EPA per play and success rate, it's more of a team stat than an individual stat. Um, it's a good metric, but it can be impacted by a quarterback's surroundings, their supporting cast, their coaching. Um, and so that is something to keep in mind. But by this metric, he, ha he has had pretty unimpressive performances in around half his games this year, which is not great. I will say that his passing efficiency numbers, like adjusted net yards per pass attempt, are improving. And that's uh, adjusted net yards per pass attempt is a passing efficiency stat that looks at completion percentage, yards per pass attempt, touchdown rate, interception rate, and sack rate to measure a quarterback's passing efficiency. Pretty good metric. I like it. Um, it can be impacted by uh, quarterback surroundings, um, and it doesn't include rushing, but overall, it's a very solid metric, and uh, Justin Fields has improved a lot in this metric uh, within the last year, which is great to see. For comparison, I looked at Jalen Hurts, who is a quarterback kind of like Justin Fields, and I wanted to look at how similar their development paths were, um, and I found that their development paths weren't that similar. Um, a metric that I like to use to compare quarterbacks is adjusted net yards per attempt plus. This is a stat that takes each quarterback's adjusted net yards per pass attempt, puts it on a scale where 100 is average, um, and this stat adjusts each quarterback's adjusted net yards per pass attempt, adjusted for the league average, and so basically 100 is league average, above that is above league average, and below that is below league average. Well, when Jalen Hurts was a rookie, he played four games, and in those four games, his adjusted net yards per pass attempt plus was 95. That is the same for Justin Fields this season. Um, and when you look at how they performed at the same age, uh, Justin Fields right now is 24. When Jalen Hurts was 24, that was last year, he was an MVP candidate. And his adjusted net yards per pass attempt plus was around 120. I think a little bit below that, um, but he was a legit MVP candidate. He was an MVP finalist. Um, it was much better than Justin Fields is now. And like I said earlier, this metric only includes passing. Um, but I think 
think based on that, you can see that Justin Fields has improved a lot. I think he's a solid quarterback, not an elite one. In my opinion, he has not been good enough for the Bears to not consider taking a quarterback at one. Um, does he have the potential to be a good quarterback, a franchise quarterback? Maybe. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not the biggest fan of Justin Fields. I like him more than most, I would say. I think I'm a bigger fan of Fields than most casual fans. But he does have a, a decent amount of issues with this game. Um, would it be a, a, a huge mistake for the Bears to not take a quarterback in number one? In my opinion, yes. I think it's. I think the best decision for them as a team is to take a quarterback at number one. You just don't have this many opportunities to take such a great quarterback prospect with the number one overall pick. And that's what the Bears will be getting if they take a quarterback this year. Because, like I said earlier, the quarterback class this year is incredible. I think Caleb Williams and Drake May are probably the top two quarterbacks in this year's draft. And both of those guys are awesome. I think both of them would be the number one overall pick in most drafts. Uh, those guys are awesome. Jaden Daniels had a better season than both of those guys this year, but he's older. He is not on the same development path as those guys. Um, he was not at quite as good at an early age like those guys were. Those guys were awesome immediately in college, especially Caleb Williams. Jaden Daniels was not that good at an early age, so I think I think both May and Williams are better prospects than him. Um, but yeah, in, in my opinion, I think the Bears should reserve free agency for filling their team needs. In my opinion, that's the way that most teams should approach free agency. And I think most teams should use the draft, um, as some, as a way to get cheap young talent at premium positions. Um, I think that's the smartest way to utilize the draft and the Bears, by taking a quarterback, they can potentially reset their rookie quarterback contract. They can reset it, um, which is super smart. It also gives them flexibility with their quarterback situation because if they take a quarterback, they don't necessarily have to play him. They could play fields right away, let the young guy sit for a little bit. Um, and then when you have fields and a rookie quarterback, that's a nice quarterback room, and I think that that's great. It's always great to have a good backup. In my opinion, NFL teams should always uh, use a lot of resources to have a good backup quarterback, um, so that's something that the Bears would get by taking a quarterback at number one. Um, and then if they take a quarterback at number one, they can trade Fields, and I think Fields is a pretty valuable asset. I think they can get a decent amount for him. A few years ago, when the Panthers traded Sam Darnold, they were able to get a second-round pick for him, um, and they were also able to get some other late-round picks, but the top pick they got in a Darnold trade was a second-round pick, and Darnold, um, during his first three seasons, he was legitimately one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, probably the worst quarterback, and the Panthers were able to get a second-round pick plus other late-round picks for him. So I think if the Bears trade fields, they could possibly get a first-round pick if not more. Um, I think that Fields is good enough to demand that, especially if Sam Darnold was enough to get a second-round pick. I think Fields is good enough to get a first-round pick. Um, now, the Bears could keep Fields, trade the number one overall pick. They can trade back from one. But in my opinion, I think that they would eventually have to come have to make a decision on Fields anyway, and I think that eventually they would they would decide uh, to get rid of him. Um, I just don't think that he's worth a huge contract extension. Maybe they do. I don't. Um, in my opinion, he's not worth a huge contract extension, which he may get when his when his rookie deal is up. Um, and so I think the best move for them. The smartest decision in terms of, you know, long-term team building, looking at it from a team building perspective, the smartest move is for them to take a quarterback at number one. Um, and I think that's the way they should, uh, that's the direction they should head towards. Um, I think that's what they will do, and I think that's the smartest decision. I will say this is not an anti-Justin Fields take. I think he's good. Um, I think he can be a solid quarterback in the NFL, but... Uh, this is a rare opportunity that the Bears would not usually have, and I think they have to take advantage of that by drafting a, a high-level quarterback prospect 
And you have to consider that they have another top 10 pick or they're likely going to have another top 10 pick, which is their own selection. Right now, it is sliding in at number five. So they have the number one pick and the fifth pick. Um, and so when they take a quarterback at number one, they can trade back from number five, which is what I would do because they do have a lot of holes on their roster. I think it would be great for them to get as many draft picks as humanly possible. They can trade back from number five. Um, I think that they will have a, a good opportunity to do that because there are three good quarterback prospects this year. Um, and I think that if Jaden Daniels is available at five, the Bears could get a lot if a team wants to trade up uh, into the top five to get to get Daniels. Um, and if they do have that opportunity, I think the Bears should take it. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on uh, the Bears and what they should do with Justin Fields. Like I said, I like Fields, but I think it is just the right move um, long term and from a team building perspective for the Bears to take a quarterback, trade Fields and then trade back from number five. If, if all of that is humanly possible, but yeah, those are my thoughts about the whole situation. And now I'm going to take a break. When I come back, we'll talk about the Los Angeles Chargers and what they, and what they should do this offseason. Now let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. And before I get into all of this, I just got to say, Chargers fans, I'm sorry. This has been a brutal year and the last couple of seasons have just been a, a huge disappointment. I feel your pain as a Falcons fan. I just want to say I'm here for you. This is a safe space. But yeah, the last couple of seasons have been really disappointing for the Los Angeles Chargers. This year is no different. Um, recently, the Chargers fired their head coach, Brandon Staley, and their GM, Tom Telesco. They fired those guys after losing to the Raiders, I believe 63-21 to on Monday Night Football. It was a brutal performance. Really bad. The Chargers looked like they weren't even trying. Their effort was really poor. And it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a team, especially in recent memory. And so they decided to fire their head coach and their GM just a few weeks until the end of the season. So now they have some pretty big decisions to make. They've got to get a new head coach. They've got to get a new GM. And this upcoming offseason, they're going to have a lot of decisions to make with their roster. There are a lot of guys on their team they can cut to save cap space. Uh, there are some guys they can trade. So they've got a lot of big time decisions to make. And I'm going to talk about all of that here. I want to start by talking about some uh, candidates they should look at for their head coach opening. Um, I've seen a bunch of names floated around. And I, I actually wrote an article about this last week. Or I, I actually this past weekend. I talked about six head, head coach candidates. The Chargers should look at hiring. One of them was a joke. One of them was Urban Meyer. Which I'm kidding. But it would be like hilarious. If the Chargers hired Urban Meyer. But seriously. I think there are a few guys. That the Chargers should look at hiring. Starting off with Ben Johnson who is the Lions offensive coordinator, he's going to be a huge name this offseason when teams are looking to hire a head coach. He's going to be a popular name. He's a good play caller. The Lions offense has been unbelievably good with him the last two seasons. They've been great. Um, Jared Goff has taken a huge step forward under Ben Johnson, so I think he will be a great hire for the Chargers. I think putting Ben Johnson with Justin Herbert would be awesome. I love that pairing. I know that he is inexperienced. He's never been a head coach before, but I don't think that should scare the Chargers from hiring him. Another guy, another candidate uh, who would be a first-time head coach would be Mike McDonald, who is the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Under him, the Ravens defense has been unreal. He's been their DC the last two seasons. Uh, that's including this year. And their defense has been elite. It's been awesome. And so I think he is also going to be a popular head coach candidate this offseason. And like Ben Johnson, he's under 40 years old. He's young. Um, and he is inexperienced, but like, like with Ben Johnson, I don't think that should scare the Chargers um, and keep them from hiring him. Another guy I think that the, that the Chargers sh should consider hiring, I don't know how realistic this is, uh, but that's Jim Harbaugh who is the head coach for the Michigan Wolverines. He's been a college football coach for the last, like, eight years, nine years. 
Um, he started, uh, he began coaching at Michigan in 2015, um, used to be a head coach in the NFL, he was a coach for the 49ers for, I believe, like three seasons in the mid-2000s, or mid-2010s, uh, went to the Super Bowl, they were great with him, so I think that would be a great hire for the Chargers, and unlike Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, he does have head coaching experience at the highest level, which I think is a huge huge thing that's in his favor. Um, after him, there were, there were two names I had written down. Brian Flores, who used to be a head coach for the Miami Dolphins. Now he's the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. And when he got hired uh, with the Vikings, their defense had an immediate turnaround. Their defense was terrible last year. Now it's gotten a lot better. Their defense is legitimately really, really good. And so I think he would be an awesome hire for the Chargers. He was really good with the Dolphins when he was there. Um, so I think he would be a solid choice. Another guy I think would be a solid choice is Dan Quinn, who is the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. He also has head coaching experience with the Falcons. Um, he also used to be the DC for the Seahawks. Uh, I, I believe he was there during the Legion of Boom era. Uh, but he's been to a Super Bowl Obviously, they didn't win it when they, you know, had that 28-3 collapse versus the Patriots, but he was a decent head coach in Atlanta. The players liked him. Um, he is a great defensive mind. He has had a lot of success as the Cowboys defensive coordinator, so he is another guy that I think would be great, but those were like the five guys that I thought would be really good candidates for the uh, Chargers to go after when they are deciding who to hire as their head coach moving forward. There were some other names that I thought of that would be interesting, like Bill Belichick, but I don't think Belichick is going to come to the Chargers, um, and it's not confirmed that he's going to get fired by the Patriots. I know it's being reported that he is, and I think he probably will, uh, but he's not available now, and we'll see whether or not that changes, but even if he does become available, I don't think he's going to want to head to the Chargers because they aren't going to be competitive right away. They're going to have to have a little bit of a mini-rebuild. It's going to take maybe two a season or two before they're competitive. Uh, so it's going to be a, a little bit of a rebuild before they're competitive. And I'm just not sure that Belichick wants to do that. I'm not sure that that's what um, he is interested in at this point in his career. But yeah, those are like five names uh, that I think they should go after uh, for their head coaching job. In my article, I also mentioned like Kellen Moore, but he's not their interim head coach now, so I don't think they're considering him at all for their head coaching opening. Um, I'm trying to think who else I, I named. I don't know if I really named too many other people, um, but yeah, those are some guys that I think they should consider for their head coach opening. Now we can talk about some guys they can hire to be their GM, and I'm not going to lie, I don't know all the GMs, I don't know all the front office members, so I decided to pull up this uh, article from The Athletic, which listed 16 names, 16 people the Chargers could hire to be their new GM, and I'll go through some of the names, and I'm like, yeah, that um, that should that that's someone that they should go after based on the way or based on what I know about the team's front office. Um, and there are a lot of a lot of good candidates here. First off, we have Adam Peters, who is the assistant general manager for the 49ers. I like what the 49ers have done over the last couple of years. Um, and getting John Lynch's assistant general manager would be good. I think that's smart. Uh, we also have let's see, um, Joe Horditz. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He is the Baltimore Ravens Director of Player Personnel. The Ravens are a really smart organization, Organization very analytical. They know how to use data, so I think that would be a smart decision. Um, and of course, I like that because I'm a, I'm a data nerd myself. We also have, let's see, we have the Detroit Lions Assistant General Manager. Um, not sure how I feel about that because... The Lions GM right now, I'm forgetting his name, I think it's Brad Holmes, seems to not be huge on analytics in drafting for premium positions, so I don't love that. What I do love is the fact that, that the Athletic listed Catherine Reich, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, um, Cleveland Browns as the Assistant General Manager and Vice President of Football Operations. The Browns are a team that's very smart. They're very analytical. I think it would be smart to hire their assistant GM. And I believe this would be the first 
female GM in the history of the of the NFL, which would be really cool to see. Uh, but as you see from all these names I'm listing, like I like people who come from who have like an analytics background or come from a team that relies heavily on analytics because that's the kind of person that I am. That's what I like. Uh, so those are the, are the kind of candidates that I'm gonna I'm gonna favor. Uh, we also have uh, Rick Spielman, former uh, Minnesota Vikings general manager. Um, that could be a solid option. And then we got Alec Hallaby, uh, Philadelphia Eagles assistant general manager. Love this. I think Howie Roseman is one of, if not the best general manager in all of sports. He's awesome. Super smart. I think getting his assistant general manager will be awesome because Alec Hallaby has to be getting like a, a, a wealth of knowledge. Like the, the, the amount of knowledge they, they have to have gotten the, uh, under Howie Roseman has to be incredible. And I think that would be great for the Chargers to have. Let's see if there are any other names that I think are interesting. Not really. Uh, they named some some front, front office members for like the Chiefs, the Bills. Uh, but I really like uh, the names that I mentioned. So shout out to the Athletic. And I didn't want to give out all the names because you do have to pay for the, for the Athletic. And I didn't really want to take money uh, out of their pockets. So yeah, those are some some potential GM candidates they could get during the offseason. Now we can move on and talk about some of the roster decisions the Chargers will have to make this year uh, during the offseason. Starting out with Austin Eckler, they should not bring him back. Don't re-sign him. He's an aging running back who has been, honestly, just really underwhelming this, this year. His performance this season has been really, really disappointing, so I don't think they should re-sign him. And there are, are, are also a lot of players they will have to cut, like Kula Mack, that would uh, give them $23.25 million in cap savings. Um, and cap savings is basically the difference between a player's cap hit, uh, if he was on the team next year, and their dead cap, uh, which is basically a combination of all their roster bonuses that they have for this season. Um, so they should cut Mack. They should also cut Mike Williams, uh, which would give them $20 million in cap savings. Um, and they should cut Eric Kendricks which would give them around $6.5 million in cap savings. If they cut all three of those players, it would save them around $50 million in cap space, which is smart. Um, there are also some players that I think they should consider trading and or also cutting, and that's Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen. Joey Bosa um, hasn't had a great year this year, I don't think, off the top of my head, if I remember properly. Maybe I'm just insane and stupid for saying that, uh, but I think he's someone they should trade. Uh, one thing that I know is not great about him is his injuries. Um, he's a bit injury-prone. He's hurt a lot, um, and he's getting a little bit older, so he's someone that they could trade to a team who needs a edge rusher and some pass rush. I also think they should trade Keenan Allen. Um, if they're going to trade everybody, they might as well trade Keenan Allen. Maybe they want to, you know, keep somebody on the roster just to fill out the roster. And Keenan Allen is having a great season, so I could see that. But uh, they could also save some cap space by cutting Keenan Allen. So that's something that they could slash should consider. But yeah, those are some of the names that they uh, will have to make decisions on when it comes to their roster. Um, their roster is going to change a lot. They're going to trade a lot of players they're going to cut a lot of players. Their roster next year is going to look completely different. And I am really interested to see uh, all, all the decisions that they, that they make during the offseason. It's fascinating to me. Now I want to talk about what they should do in the draft. Right now, they have the seventh pick. That's probably going to get worse. They're probably going to end up having a better pick, possibly a top five pick, um, because Justin Herbert isn't playing. They have an interim uh, head coach. Um, they are coming off a horrendous performance against the Raiders. In my opinion, they could very well lose out. They could very well lose the rest of their games, possibly get into the top five. Do I think they should uh, take somebody like Brock Bowers in the top five? No. I know a lot of people are saying they should take Brock Bowers. I get it. Brock Bowers is great. This is not an anti-Brock Bowers take, but the smartest decision for them is to trade back. They need to trade back. They have so many holes on their roster. That's going to be even more true when they cut like half their team. They need to trade back. Um, 
maybe if they get into the top five and Jaden Daniels is available at five, someone will trade a ransom to get Jaden Daniels. I think that would be great for the Chargers, but by no means should they be uh, making a pick inside the top five. I know, I know they can get a high-end prospect, but they have too many needs. The smartest decision from a long-term perspective is to trade back, get as much draft capital as possible to fill out their roster. That's what I do. That's what I think. Uh, that's what I would do if, if I were their GM, um, if I were the one making decisions there. But yeah, so that's those are the guys I think they should hire or look at to potentially be their head coach. Um, also, some people they, they should look at to be their GM. And then uh, some moves I think they should make when it comes to their roster during the offseason. I'm going to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills and whether or not they are a legitimate championship contender. Next, we can talk about the Buffalo Bills, who, in my opinion, are the most fascinating team in the NFL right now. They've had such an up-and-down season, and this past week, they had an awesome performance against the Cowboys, winning 31-10. They were awesome, and what's crazy about that game is they didn't even have to rely on Josh Allen all that much. They were able to run the ball at will. Josh Allen didn't even throw the ball 20 times. He had less than 100 passing yards, which... I'm not sure that's ever happened um, since he started playing for the Bills. Um, it, at least it hasn't happened recently. I mean, what a performance from the Bills. And it's not like Josh Allen was bad. No, they just didn't have to rely on him at all. James Cook had an awesome performance. He had over 200 total yards uh, from scrimmage. He also had two touchdowns. He was great. The team was awesome. Their defense was great. Dak Prescott, unfortunately, was not very good. He had one of his worst performances of the season, which is unfortunate because he's had such a great year. He's been an MVP candidate, and this loss may have lost him the MVP, which sucks because I was really, really supporting his MVP case, but it happens. But back to the Bills, what's up with this team? What's up with them? They've had so many highs, so many lows. This season has been a roller coaster. They've had some dominant performances. They've had some horrific performances. Starting off with, a, with the dominant performances, um, obviously they, you have this game against the Cowboys where they won 31-10. That was awesome. That's arguably their best win. They also had a 48-20 victory versus the Dolphins, another really good team that they just dominated, beating by almost 30 points. Then you have um, some dominant wins against lower-level competition, uh, like a 37-3 victory versus the Commanders, and a 38-10 victory versus the Raiders. So they've had a number of just flat-out dominant performances this year, but they've also had some really, really underwhelming performances. Um, like in Week 1, they lost to the Jets 22-16. Not great. Not a good look. They also lost to the Broncos, 24-22, um, and then they had a win against the Giants, and although it was a win, they only won 14-9, despite the fact that Daniel Jones wasn't playing, Tyron Taylor was starting for the Giants instead, and it took a goal line stand for the Bills to walk away with the victory in that game. That was a rough game for the Bills. They looked bad. Um, and that's just been the story of the season. They've had some some moments where they've looked like the best team in the league and some moments where they've looked like they don't belong in the playoffs. So it's been really weird. And I want to talk about, you know, just how good is this team? And are they good enough to win the Super Bowl? Let's start by talking about the advanced numbers that measure team strength. And this looks at their offense and their defense. It looks at everything. Um, by all these different metrics, the Bills are a top five team. They are top five in point differential and SRS. SRS stands for Simple Rating System. And this stat is from Pro Football Reference. And it's basically margin of victory adjusted for opponent strength. And the Bills are top five in these metrics. So despite the fact that they are just eight and six on the season, they are arguably one of the better teams in the league. And I think that's correct. I think that's a fair assessment of the team. They've been really good this year, despite the fact that they aren't even, you know, officially in the playoffs and are on the bubble. That's how good they've been. And that's how they have really just underperformed um, um, just expectations, really. Um, and, and it's why their record is not indicative 
of how good this team is. Now we can get into the little nitty-gritty of why this team is really better than their record indicates. Let's start with the offense. So the offense is elite, and I mean it. They are elite on that side of the ball. They're top three in EPA per play and success rate. Um, the only two teams who are top three in these metrics are the 49ers and the Dolphins, so that just shows you how good the Bills' offense has been this year. They've been amazing in the passing game, and they've honestly been even better in the run game. Their um, rushing efficiency metrics have been crazy this year, and James Cook hasn't even been that good. I'm not saying, saying he's been bad, but it's not like his efficiency has been off the charts, so I wonder if the fact that Josh Allen has so many rushing touchdowns, is impacting their rushing metrics, and also, he's a productive rusher in his own right, so maybe that's helping out their run game, but yeah, their, their run game has been really, really good, and arguably better than their passing game, which is crazy to think about, but yeah, their, their run game has been awesome, and that's great to see, because usually they have to rely really, really heavily on Josh Allen, so hopefully they won't have to do that in the playoffs, at least not to the degree that they've had to in, in recent seasons. Um, jo now I want to talk about Josh Allen specifically. He's been great. He's been awesome. I know all the narratives about him. I get it. He's been awesome, and people who aren't admitting that are wrong. I'm just going to be blunt. People who think Josh Allen hasn't been amazing this year don't know what you're watching, don't know what numbers you're looking at. He's been great. Bar none. And he is honestly, arguably the MVP. Like, I might vote for him to be the MVP. Dude is insane. He's having a great year. He's been awesome. Um, playing at such a high level. A lot of people have talked about his turnovers. Listen, his turnover-worthy play rate is really low. He's gotten unlucky with some bad drops at, you know, the worst possible times. But he's still playing at an elite level. His PFF grade, super high. His, um, the Bills' offense has been amazing this year, so he's leading one of the best offenses in the league. He's been great under pressure. He's been great in terms of mobility. His sack rate's been low. His pressure to sack rate's been low. Deuce is balling out. You know, he, he's doing what he does. This is who Josh Allen is. He's elite. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the world. And honestly, I don't get why people are so critical of him. How many, how many more seasons of elite play does he need? Seriously. Like, people, open your eyes. The dude's awesome. He's a freak. Love watching him play. And he's one of the biggest reasons why the Bills offense has been so dominant this year. Now I want to talk about the defense. Now that I'm done ranting about Josh Allen, got a little heated there, but, you know, I love me some Josh Allen. think he's awesome, um, and I really think the criticisms of him are unfair and or wrong. Um, now I want to talk about the defense. The Bills' defense this year, honestly, hasn't been great. Um, and that's for most of the year. Most of the year it hasn't been great, but it is peaking. I will say that for the entire year, their metrics are below average pretty much um, everywhere in terms of efficiency, but their defense has played really well the last couple of weeks. From week 11 to week 15, their defense is top 10 in EPA per play. Um, I think it's also top 10 in success rate. It may be like just outside the top 10 for those weeks, but um, yeah, and their, their coverage has been great all year long, and their coverage has been really good the last couple of weeks. Their coverage was really good this past week against the Cowboys. That's why they were able to shut down the Cowboys' offense, and it's why um, they shut down Dak Prescott. I will say their run D is very underwhelming. Their run defense is not great, but their defense can still be really good because of how well they defend the pass. Like in the playoffs, their defense can be good despite the fact that they really can't stop the run because they are so good in coverage. Um, which, that's good. Now, this this all leads to the big question. Can the Bills win the Super Bowl? In my opinion, I think the answer is maybe. They need to continue to play extremely well in offense, and their coverage has to continue to be awesome. Um, but, I think they can, but I would probably bet on other teams, like the Ravens and the 49ers, and even maybe the Cowboys. And I know the Cowboys just lost in the Bills, but the Cowboys are an awesome team. And they've been better than the Bills this year, in my opinion. I think they're better on offense and defense. 
in a playoff setting, the Cowboys can beat the Bills. I know they just lost by 21 points, so I may sound like a madman, but that was a one-game sample. It does matter, but um, I think the Cowboys may be better. I definitely think that the Ravens and the 49ers are probably better than the Bills, and so I would I would rather bet on those teams winning the Super Bowl, but the Bills are good enough. They have one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Um, their coverage defense has been awesome this year. They're really good. They can run the ball. Like, they're a good team. They're way better than their record. I hope they make the playoffs because if they do, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people and make a deep run. Because um, the uh, AFC is deep, but I think that they, um, they can beat a lot of the top teams in the AFC. They're really good. Can't wait to see them in the playoffs if they make it, but yeah, I've been really impressed with them over the last couple of weeks, and I'm happy to say that it looks like they've turned it around and are peaking at the best possible moment, which is awesome to see, but those are my thoughts about the Buffalo Bills, their offense, their defense, Josh Allen, their performance this last week against the Cowboys. I'm going to take another break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the Los Angeles Clippers, um, the season they're having how they've been performing recently, and whether or not they can be a legitimate contender this year. All right, let's keep it moving, talking about the Los Angeles Clippers and why they are a really dangerous team right now. So at the moment, they are 15-10. and 10. They're 6th in the Western Conference. And you may be thinking, well, that's not great or anything. Like, why are they such a dangerous team? I'll get into that. So they started the season 3-7. and seven. They had a rough start to the season. I remember seeing a lot of tweets from people who are like, dude, the Clippers are imploding, they suck, like, the Kawhi Leonard-Paul George experiment is going just so poorly, um, but they ended up trading for James Harden, and over the last 15 games, they've been awesome. They're 12-3 and in the last 15 games, they're on a 7-game win streak, they have been playing really well recently, and since adding James Harden, the team has just changed completely. They've been so much better with him, and so I think right now, the Clippers are really, really dangerous, and I think that they are a little bit underrated. Um, looking at their metrics, right now they are 14th in adjusted offensive rating and 8th in adjusted defensive rating. When I say adjusted, I just mean adjusted for opponent strength. Um, so they're, they're good on both sides of the ball. At one point, I want to say I was looking at these metrics and they were flipped, like they were top 10 in offensive rating and a little bit outside the top 10 in defensive rating, uh, but they've gotten better on defense the last couple of weeks. Um, offensively, they were a really good team. Um, I know that they're just 14th in adjusted offensive rating, but um, there are some data points that show that this team's pretty good, and I think they're going to get better in terms of their offensive rating as the season goes along. First off, they have really good individual offensive players. Like Kawhi Leonard, he's been really good this year, especially on offense. Um, I'm not sure that he's quite the offensive Leonard that we're used to, where he's just like, like arguably the best player in the world. But um, he's still, he's had a great year. He's been super efficient. His scoring ability has been really good, like incredible. I know he isn't scoring at the volume that we're used to seeing, but the efficiency has been awesome. And he's been great. James Harden has been awesome. Um, his scoring volume hasn't been hasn't been elite. It hasn't been insane. Um, it's not like Houston Harden, but still been really good. He's been super efficient scoring wise. Um, he's been a great passer. He's been awesome as a pick and roll ball handler this year. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that he adds to this team: passing, ball handling ability. Um, and I think that's changing the Clippers' offense. Uh, Paul George. I don't think he's been quite as good offensively as these guys, but he's still having a solid season. Uh, maybe not quite what we're used to seeing from Paul George, but still, he's been good. Um, and when you look at, you know, how the team is performing offensively as a team, they're, they're pretty good. They're top 15 in field goal percentage at the rim from mid-range and from three. Um, they're really good in isolation and pick and rolls, um, which is no surprise. I'm not surprised they're efficient in these like play types because they have great isolation scores like Kawhi, James Harden, Paul George. All of those guys are good isolation scores. And then of course James Harden is an elite pick and roll ball handler. So there's no surprise that they're that they're performing well in pick and rolls. Um, defensively, 
they're not, I don't know if they're quite as good offensively. Um, they're really good in terms of pick and roll defense, and they're great in half-court defense. Like, their half-court defense is top tier, but they're just average in terms of isolation defense, um, and they're just average in terms of transition defense, which is a little a little worrisome. Um, and then going back to their offense, one issue that I have with them offensively is the fact that they take way too many mid-range shots and not enough shots at the rim and from three-point range. They're really efficient shooting the ball from like every area of the floor, but they shoot way too many mid-range shots. And I just think that's that's not great. It's not a great shot diet. I think that's going to hurt them in the playoffs. And I know that's very like stat nerd of me, but I, I would love to see them shoot more at the rim and shoot more from three and not settle for as many mid-range jumpers because it's going to be hard to be really efficient offensively that when your shot diet looks like that. So I don't, I'm not sure how that changes, but that's something, something I'd like to see them uh, change about their offensive scheme and their offensive play style because they can shoot more threes. They're, they're, I believe they're top 10 in three-point percentage right now, so they can get up there. Um, they can shoot the ball a little bit, so I'd like to see them take more threes, uh, get to the rim a little bit more. Um, but those are like my biggest issues with their offense and their defense. My biggest issue with the team right now is their lack of depth. They're, they do not have a lot of depth, and that's going to hurt them in the playoffs. And I'm really worried about their front court. Um, Avika Zubak is really good. Did I, I really hope I said that name right. Let me look it up. Um, I really hope I'm not just an idiot who just called him the complete wrong name. I don't think I did, but let me look real quick. Okay, yeah, because uh, Zubak has been um, solid this year, but besides him, their front court is, like, rough. Like, it's bad. I mean, they have Daniel Tice, but he's having a pretty rough season. Um, they just don't have a lot of great depth. I mean, they have, like, Mason Plumley was good, like, a year or two ago, but... He isn't performing all that well. Um, he also has only played six games. Um, so, like, their depth is just a bit of a question mark. Uh, so, that's something I'm worried about with this team. Um, I'm also worried about, you know, obviously something I mentioned, their shot diet, how how dependent they are on mid-range shots. Um, and I'm a little bit worried about their stars because they're all getting older. They're all getting up there in age. I'm worried about how they'll be able to uh, to last in a playoff series. That's something that worries me a little bit. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are both really talented players who have taken a step back a little bit in terms of their overall impact. Um, Kawhi has been great, but not quite what we're used to um, from him. And so, those are things that I'm a little bit worried about, but overall, I think the team's good. I think they've been great um, in certain areas that are really key, like pick and rolls, isolation uh, on offense. I think they're uh, they're really good shooters. Like they're they're a good shooting team offensively, um, and if they take advantage of that by shooting more threes, that can make their offense really efficient. Um, and then defensively, they they have some bright spots, you know, in terms of their pick and roll defense, their half court defense. Um, we'll see if that continues, but yeah, the Clippers are a really interesting team. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be a legitimate championship contender in the playoffs because I think they could struggle against a team like the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, um, but they're a good team, um, and I'm really fascinated and interested to see how they play moving forward if they're able to, you know, carry on the success they've had in the last 15 games and can continue playing at that level moving forward. I'm not expecting them to win uh, this many games moving forward. That's not what I'm asking, but I do want to see whether or not they can continue to play uh, really well offensively, be efficient in pick and rolls and isolation settings, and then play well on defense, especially in the half court and against pick and rolls. But yeah, those are my thoughts about the Los Angeles Clippers. They're a really good team. Um, I'm not quite sure about them as a championship contender, but uh, they've been really good, and, I, and I'm glad to see them kind of bounce back after having a pretty rough start to the season. They've been great. They look like a much better team, especially with James Harden, and I think this team can be really good. We just have to see just how good they can be. 
Now I'm going to take one last break. Then when I come back, I'll talk about Scoot Henderson's rookie season, what he's done well this year, what he hasn't done quite as well, um, and whether or not we should be worried, you know, long term about his play this year. Okay, let's close out the podcast by talking about Scoot Henderson's rookie season. If you don't know who Scoot Henderson is, he was the third overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft, and when he was coming out, a lot of people loved him. He was a he had a lot of big fans in the draft community. Um, most people viewed him as uh, an elite prospect and arguably one of the better guard prospects we've seen in recent memory. At least that's the way that, that a lot of people talked about him on Twitter. And when the Hornets did not take him number two overall and took Brandon Miller instead, they were very critical of, of that move. There were a lot of people talking crap about the Hornets on Twitter that night. It was crazy. And so far, Scoo Henderson has not lived up to the hype. And his performance has just honestly been underwhelming this year. I want to talk about, you know, some positive things we've seen from him this year, some negative things, and I want to discuss whether or not we should be, you know, worried about long term. Like, should should we, you know, really be worried about him moving forward? Um, is he going to get better? What are what are some positives that we think uh, could be? Can become like real serious strength in his games. We're going to talk about all of that. So let's start with some basic numbers. Right now, Skew Henderson is averaging around 11 points, four rebounds, and three assists per game on 45.2% through shooting. On the surface, those numbers are not great. The box score numbers are okay, uh, but the efficiency is not. And his shooting splits across the board are pretty poor. Now, he has done some things pretty well this year. Um, the first thing I noted that he does well is getting to the rim. He gets to the rim a decent amount. 31% of his field goal attempts are at the rim, which is good. I think that's good. I, I like that about a shot diet. Um, he's also been pretty solid as a pick-and-roll ball handler this year. I was looking at his play types on NBA.com, um, and he was pretty efficient as a pick-and-roll ball handler. He's also been pretty uh, productive as a passer. His assist rate is around 25%, which is good. Not great, uh, but good. And he has a slightly positive assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, meaning that he is averaging slightly more assist than turnovers. You'd like to see his assist-to-turnover ratio increase, get better, uh, but uh, I think I'd be, be pretty concerned. If, it, if he was averaging more turnovers than assists. So that's something that's good to see. Um, one thing that I really like about his performance this year is the fact that the Blazers perform better when he's on the floor than when he's off the floor, which is great to see. Um, at one point, his defensive metrics were looking pretty good. And by that, I mean his defensive impact metrics. And so uh, maybe that's something that is, uh, you know, helping him raise the Blazers' performance when he's on the floor. Um, another thing that he does well is he's a good offensive rebounder for his position. His offensive rebound rate this year is good. Obviously, that doesn't, you know, matter all that well, all, all that much for a guard. But still, that's something that he does well. Um, now, one thing I love about, about Scoo Henderson, and one thing that I, I have to mention, he is performing a lot better recently. The last four games, he's been so much better, um, averaging around 17 points, three rebounds, and five assists, while shooting 43.8% from three in these games. The shooting is a bit of an outlier. He's shooting around 100% from the free throw line during the stretch, which is unsustainable, but... Um, I actually watched some of, some of his games during the stretch, and I thought he looked good. Um, he looked great attacking the rim in these games. He looked more confident handling the ball. The passing, I didn't see much that was like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't see many mind-blowing passes, but he looked really, really comfortable as a ball handler, especially in pick and rolls, um, and he attacked the rim ferociously, which I loved. So it's great to see him performing better recently, but when you look at a player's production, you got to look at the whole sample. And when you look at the whole sample, there honestly just aren't a lot of positives. And now we can get into some of the negatives about his performance. The first thing I noticed was his turnover rate. His turnover rate is sky high. It's around 20%. That's really bad. And you hate to see that from 
from someone who is, you know, a primary ball handler, um, who, you know, is that kind of archetype as a player. Um, and his assist rate is not high enough to make that turnover rate worth it. You know, it's fine if a player turns the ball over as long as they are handling the ball a lot and they are generating a ton of assist. But Scooby Henderson isn't doing that. His assist rate is, is fine, but it's not great. And it's nowhere near high enough to make his turnover rate worth it. So that's something he's got to clean up. He's got to get a lot better as a decision maker. The next thing that's really bad is his efficiency. His true shooting percentage is really low. It's 22% below league average, which is not good. I think that's outlier low. I think eventually his true shooting percentage is going to regress in the mean. It'll get better, but for now, it's bad. And he's been a pretty poor shooter from like every area of the floor, whether it be at the rim, mid-range, three-point, uh, behind the arc, downtown, bad. Like, bad everywhere. It's not good. Um, hopefully that gets better, but for now, he's that's that's been a, a serious issue. He's got to be more efficient um, from basically every area of the floor. Now, I think that um, before coming to the NBA, um, you know, he was playing in the G League, and then he was a pretty solid mid-range shooter. He could get to the rim. He was a decent finisher. Um, but now, those just aren't his strengths. And he really needs to get better in those two areas because those were strengths of his before, and now they're not. So you want to see him get better in those areas. Uh, there's some other issues I had. His free throw rate is really low, and it's really low for someone who is known as being a great finisher, a great driver, someone who can get to the rim at will. For someone with that, you know... Um, kind of, you know, the way that people think about him in that way. For someone uh, where people think of him as a great, you know, rim finisher, a great driver, he has a pretty low free throw rate. Um, he also has meh defensive production. His steal rate and his block rate are really low. Um, and, and his defensive impact metrics, which were pretty good at one point, have kind of regressed a little bit. So now they're not quite as good. Um, his, uh, DEPM, his defensive estimated plus minus is zero. Um, it's good that it's not negative, but at one point it was positive, which was good to see. Um, some other issues I had, he takes a little bit, he takes like too many mid-range shots. His shot diet, not great. Um, he does take a, a, a lot of shots at the rim, but I would love to see him trade some mid-ring shots for some three-point shots. Um, I think the key for him becoming a really efficient uh, offensive player would be, you know, becoming better as a three-point shooter. That will help his scoring efficiency. It'll also help him as a ball handler and a passer, because if he gets better as a long-distance shooter, he'll be able to draw defenders out uh, because of his shooting gravity, and that will just make him a better offensive player, and that will help him become a more impact impactive offensive player um, which is great. Um, one last, one last thing I wanted to note, his play type numbers across the board are pretty poor. Um, and when I say play types, I mean like, you know, isolation, pick and roll ball handler, um, transition, stuff like that. Um, his efficiency as a ball handler has been fine as a pick and roll ball handler has been fine, but like his efficiency in isolation, spot ups, it's been really, really bad, and so that's something else that I noted was something he needs to get better at. Um, overall, he's been struggling. That's obvious. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone will deny that Scoot Henderson has struggled this year, but um, I think there are some some real positives about his game, um, and I think the fact that he's playing really well the last couple of games is great. I'm a little concerned. Um, I'm concerned because there were, there were negatives, there were issues with this game that I noted before he even got drafted that have become serious issues in the NBA, and I'm worried that if he doesn't fix that, he's going to end up being a bust, which would be really unfortunate, and I hate to throw the, the, the bust label around just 16 games into his career. I'm not saying he's a bust, I'm just saying at some point, um, he could definitely, you know, underwhelm um, and, you, you know, underperform his draft slot, especially if these issues, um, uh, continue, and th those issues are, like, his rim finishing, um, his defense, stuff like that, his three-point shooting, if he continues to struggle in these areas, I find it hard to believe he's ever going to be, like, a, an all-star, 
Um, so those are those are areas where he needs to get better. I love the fact that he's been um, a decently productive as a passer. I love the fact that he's been, you know, solid as a pick and roll ball handler, and the fact that he's getting to the rim a decent amount and taking a lot of shots at the rim. That's all great, um, but I want to see him get better defensively. I want to see him get better as a rim finisher and actually finishing at the rim. And I want to see him get better as a mid-ring shooter, which was one of his biggest strengths uh, coming into the NBA. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. I don't think we should hit the panic button yet. It's way too early, but I am concerned. And I think I outlined some some of the things that are really making me worried about him and his long term future. Don't wanna don't wanna you know worry too much too soon. But I do think these are things that we should keep in mind with him as a as a long term prospect. Well. That's all I have for today's episode. We talked about a lot. That was a long podcast, but I think it was good. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, if you did, if you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a like and subscribe so you never miss an upload. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast, please leave a review. I would greatly appreciate that, and that would help me out a lot. If you want to hit me up on social media, you can. My personal Twitter is the Ryan McCrary. That's the R-Y-A-N. M-C-C-R-A-R-Y. My Instagram handle is the same, but the best place to reach me is on Twitter. Once again, that's all we have for today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed it, and I will see you all next time. Peace.